So it's Series 2, Episode 10 of Emergency on Planet Sport, and I'm Jonathan Overin, delighted to say rejoined by Melissa Wilson, fresh from your trip of a lifetime. How was it? Oh, it was wonderful, Jonathan. I actually met up with two of the people that we're going to be um, speaking to later. So I saw Frank Housing in Paris, I saw Jamie Conaccia in Berlin, and some other people along the way as well. So I've just had the Amazing. most lovely time. So thank Good. you for your patience. And you didn't lose your passport. Up. I didn't lose my passport, I didn't miss a train, I didn't have any delayed trains until I got to London. Doesn't that that just sum it up? Doesn't that (laughs) sum it up? How how many countries? Did you take them all off? Um, Eight, I think, and then maybe a few more um, en route. I guess my train passed through a couple more, but I uh, saw Swiss lakes and Italian mountains and... Venice canals oh, and um, up to the top of Denmark, seeing the point where the two seas kind of meet together. Um, so yeah, it was all sorts. Of, uh, it really was. It's just great. Good. Well, I got absolutely drenched in London. That's what I've been <laughs> up to. I'm I'm still drying out. I went to Chelsea Arsenal, oh, and okay. I could not believe the. Ra- I'm heading to this Premier League match in early November, mm. and I could yeah. not believe the rain. Um, ha- have a listen to this. Sunday morning in London, uh, off to a Premier League match today. Chelsea against Arsenal. Uh, this is the scene in. This part of West London. There is so much rain, so much flooding here in the capital city of the UK today. And it's early November. This is horrendous. This is this is really gonna start affecting sport as we know it. I mean, there is so much surface water on so many of the roads around in this part of town. This is not a problem for down the line. This is a problem for today. So that was that was me heading to Chelsea Arsenal. I mean, seriously, the, the, we, we talk about some of these football yeah. grounds, Melissa, projected to be underwater in 20 to 30 years' time. I wouldn't mm. have been surprised if that had rained for another half an hour, if that football yeah. ground, Stamford Bridge, had been underwater on that yeah. particular date, the 6th of November. I know. I guess you were just grateful for every inch of your height that kept you above those those rising tides. I can just see it. <laughs> or or closer, closer to the rainfall, so I don't know which is worse. It's hitting you earlier, therefore harder. I don't know. Where's the logic in that? Do you believe in infinity? Don't get me started on that one. But yeah, I was just walking to the ground thinking, come on, this is kind of why we're doing this series, because we want more people in sport in particular to wake up to what is actually happening to our planet. And I know it's always rained in London and it's the old joke, but Mm. things are getting worse. Things are getting more extreme, more violent. And um, it's a problem, isn't it? It's a massive problem. Yeah, Yeah, it it certainly is. On the 23rd of May 2022 at the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland, Gianni Infantino, who's the president of FIFA, soccer's world governing body, proclaimed that football could change the world. Football, he said, as the most popular sport in the world has a unique reach. He claimed five billion people will watch the Qatar World Cup and they all know that football has this uniting force, he said. President Infantino emphasised FIFA's committed to putting the power of that reach at the service of society, to contribute to the UN Sustainable Development Goals and to use the sport as a force for good. 
very positive comments in World Cup year, it seemed. However, two weeks out from the start of the World Cup in Qatar, Gianni Infantino has written to all 32 competing nations to urge them to let football take the stage. He says there are many challenges and difficulties of a political nature all around the world, but adds football should not be expected to have an answer to everyone. The letter has been taken as an implicit direction to steer away from issues FIFA may view as uncomfortable or pressing, issues we suspect, including the questioning of the tournament's controversial carbon neutral pledge. And in any case, you want us just to talk about football? Fine, we're talking about it. The future of football, the very existence of the game we love. Now this all comes after a couple of significant moments. First, a series of complaints to advertising standards agencies against FIFA's carbon neutrality claims for Qatar 2022. And second, a letter signed by footballers and environmental scientists calling for FIFA's sustainability policies around the tournament to be scrapped on the basis that its projections are, to quote one of the scientists, dangerous and misleading. Freddie Daly is from the New Weather Institute. They brought the advertising complaint in the UK. And Frank Hoising from Fossil Free Football did the same in the Netherlands. OK, so Frank, first of all, let's turn to you from Fossil Free Football. Could you just outline the nature of the complaints that have been brought against FIFA? Yeah, thank you. So FIFA claims that the next World Cup is carbon neutral. And that would be a good thing if it, if it would be true. It just happens not to be true. Uh, so we looked at that claim, and, and if you want something to be carbon neutral, you should, you should first reduce your emissions as much as you can, um, and FIFA doesn't really do that. Uh, they don't explain how they try to reduce their emissions as much as possible. Then you should calculate them correctly, and FIFA doesn't do that, especially with the stadiums. Their calculation is really weird, and that we should therefore only attribute a very minor part of the stadium emissions to the next World Cup. Or as we know that the main reason that the stadiums are built is the World Cup and that this will be the main event. And then they compensate their emissions and, and carbon offsetting is a very difficult thing. It's, it's not the way to go. If we need to reduce our emissions, we cannot uh, bet on carbon, uh, on carbon offsets. But when you do it, you have to do it to the highest standards that are there. And FIFA doesn't do that. Uh, they invest into projects that are not up to the international, international standards. It's a very bad start of a conversation because FIFA needs to, needs to be serious on climate. They need to do well. And we cannot have a good conversation of that as FIFA is, uh, is misleading us. Freddie, is it just worth clarifying the nature of, practically, how, who have you complained to? What is, the, what is the nature of the complaint from, from your perspective? So the complaints were made across five different European countries, the UK, the Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland and Belgium. And the nature of those complaints was directed at the regulator that is in charge of advertising. Because what we found when we were doing this investigation was that the carbon neutral claims that FIFA have made are central to all of their advertising, to the way they're marketing the tournament to fans, to spectators, and to some extent players. So when we looked a little bit closer and go through the website, which is the primary port for buying tickets to the games that is going to be going on at the World Cup, this carbon neutral phrasing and terminology is all over this web page. So they're clearly using this as a way to market the tournament to fans. And that is a breach of advertising regulations, because, of course, as Frank has said very clearly, a lot of these claims are based on flawed methodologies, flawed carbon accounting. So that was the nature of the complaints, the idea that FIFA's claims around the World Cup 
are misleading fans and misleading customers. So from, from a UK perspective, that's the Advertising Standards Authority? Basically. Correct, correct, yes. Okay. And have you heard anything back from them? What, what's, the, what's the process? Well, the complaint has gone in. We've had confirmation that the complaint has gone in. But with the ASA, it usually takes a while for them to get back and confirm that they're going to be investigating. So we're hoping that due to the nature of this intervention, where it's been the complaints have been submitted across Europe, we're hoping that will generate a little bit of momentum, that they will look into it. But with prior projects that I've been involved in, we've also worked with the ASA. And sometimes it can take a while to, to, for them to investigate and then to release the findings. But we're hopeful that, you know, that they will come out and put it together. That's really helpful to hear. And, and thinking about those prior complaints to the advertising standards agencies um, and the kind of bigger picture, I was wondering if, Freddie and Frank, you could kind of set out for us a bit where you see this particular series of complaints sitting within that wider picture um, because FIFA I think it's fair to say aren't alone they're perhaps one of the standout concerning examples of these carbon neutral claims that don't stack up but they're certainly not alone and, and so I think um, speaking to that kind of wider greenwashing piece I just wonder if you could paint that broad picture for us a little yeah, bit. Yeah sure I think I think there's definitely a big backlash against greenwashing I think um, more and more people are becoming aware of both the climate crisis and aware of the scale of action required to, to address it. So companies that are making misleading claims or overemphasizing their own, their own sort of environmental credibility, that is starting to invite people to investigate and to dig a little further. In a lot of European markets, the advertising regulation is sort of a self-regulation. So there's not necessarily really strict government policy around things like greenwashing. But we're hoping that by through these complaints and through the momentum of public backlash, campaign efforts, and sort of notable people speaking out against this problem, that governments will start to take a more robust approach to it and to introduce legislation that will restrict these claims from being made. Because ultimately they are damaging. They are but not only are they misleading, but they're dangerous, I think, to mislead the public, to mislead customers mm. on the idea that businesses are addressing the climate crisis enough. And I think that can lead to a false sense of security that the issue is being addressed, that emissions are under control when we know that that isn't the case. So I think the hope is that as momentum builds up against this sort of public backlash against Greenwash, governments will step in and introduce regulation, which will restrict the what companies can say unless you know it is backed up by substantial mm -hmm. evidence. Yeah, maybe from the Dutch perspective, uh, they previously called out both Shell and KLM. Uh, for their mis for their greenwashing and for their misleading claims about CO2 neutral flying or uh, you know neutral uh, CO2 neutral car driving, um, so I think they're brave enough to call out big companies. So they should also they will probably also be brave enough to call out to call out FIFA. How Frank? How do you think they should have played it? Do you think they should have just been very upfront? You know, new metro system, seven out of the eight stadiums built from scratch. Clearly, they will argue that they are doing stuff they are doing some stuff in this space but it doesn't equate to carbon neutrality that's the point isn't it yeah yeah they are doing stuff so a new metro system uh, you can debate whether whether no one needed this I, I i don't know that uh but that might be a good thing so they could just have communicated about the good stuff and be honest about what this all adds up to uh, they don't need to mislead this they can just admit that 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 a tournament like this 
uh, has a major impact on the, on the climate crisis because it generates a lot of emissions. And I think, after being honest, I think there's so much to do to organize the game in a more uh, in a more climate friendly way. I think football has really grown in this area in this era of globalization. More tournaments, bigger tournaments, under 20 World Cups around the world. And maybe we should just accept now that flying is really polluting. Uh, getting all these fans around the world is super polluting. So we should, I think, redesign international football. And you can do that and still have a World Cup. You could, you could have your qualifiers even more regional. And the Netherlands might play Belgium a bit more, which, which is good fun. Uh, you can reduce the number of countries that are, that are participating. Uh, you can then choose a location that has good infrastructure. And that doesn't necessarily always have to be Europe, but uh, for example, uh, uh, Spain and Morocco were once uh, candidates for organizing a World Cup. You know, they combine a country with a really good football infrastructure through countries that are connected by boats, but a country with, with also some stadiums. You could reduce the demands a little bit. It don't always have to be like 40,000 seat stadiums. And when you, when you do it this way, you could then also focus on local fans. It's good fun for people around the world to fly in, but when you organize it in a country with a lot of local football fans, you could focus on those local fans, and that will drastically reduce the emissions of the tournament. So there's much better ways to organize football in this age of climate crisis, and the FIFA should start doing that. I just wonder, because obviously the decision to award Qatar the World Cup was made 12 years ago, wasn't it? A long long time ago in the grand scheme of things. Have you sensed any change in that period, or do you think a, a similar award would still be made you know, if that decision had to be made tomorrow? I think there is more pressure on FIFA now than there was then. But if you look at the communication that they send out, Infantino was raising the green card for the planet on World Earth Day. And the entire communication about it was about fans biking to the football stadium, which is, which is a great idea. We should, all, we should all do it. But there was no clear reflection on what FIFA was doing. And there's still no clear climate plan. They make all these claims about, I think it's carbon neutrality by 2040. There's no plan for that. So there, 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 there should urgently be a plan for that. So I'm afraid it's also a leadership problem now. I'm sure there's many people within FIFA who want to change this. But from the top, we don't, uh, we don't hear what we, what we need to hear. Mm. Well, one of the big things about um, the, the power of sport that we keep returning to is the opportunity to be ambitious and show this leadership that you've just touched on. And I'm wondering, um, maybe Freddie, what your... Uh, view would be on how FIFA and other major sports organizations strike the right balance between painting the ambitious picture and setting themselves out to say, look, this is what sport does. It pushes boundaries. We're going to try to be carbon neutral or carbon positive. Maybe there's an argument to be made that that sort of language and that sort of goal sits within that tradition of sport being ambitious. I wonder how we stay true to that and the power that is inherent within that, whilst also not misleading and not making false claims. How would you see us striking a better balance between those two things in future? Well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I would first of all um, say, you know, that the people that are involved in this complaint and the people that are working on sustainability in sport, I don't think they're naive to the challenges that would come with decarbonizing something like a World Cup. I mean, it's a monumental feat. But I would ask, I would, I would argue, Melissa, that it's not necessarily a balance between ambition and honesty. You know, I mean, I, I, work, I work in research around climate and another word of another word for honesty is transparency. And I think mm. something like transparency over something like carbon emissions is vitally important, especially when you're, you're, you're doing something like offsetting, right? You need to be able to prove that there's actual uh, carbon removals from the atmosphere. 
and that is vital for the whole functioning of carbon markets, not only for offsetting, but for governments, you know, uh, declaring their own rates of how much, you know, how much fossil fuels they're removing from the energy system, how carbon intensive their transport systems are. You know, this transparency is basically a foundational element for decarbonizing the global economy. Ambition within sport, you know, it's something that's inherent to sport. And I think when you're talking about FIFA, which is, you know, the highest governing body in international football, I think there is a, a there is a level of responsibility that should be on them and it should be on their shoulders. As Frank said, you know, um, raising the green card, telling fans um, to, to cycle to stadiums, you know, this is great, but this is putting the responsibility on fans. It's a way of FIFA putting the responsibility on fans and delaying taking hard decisions themselves, whether it's over the organisation of tournaments, which countries host these tournaments. So I think it's a, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. I think they're both vitally important. And FIFA's got a role in setting standards, leading by example, also listening to, to the members of the, of the footballing community globally, listening to the impacts, listening to their concerns, and seeing how they can shape sustainability strategies, which speak to all these issues, but are no less ambitious Fantastic. Frank, how do you feel that FIFA can best respond to the complaints and to the letter? There is so much they can do in, in, in redesigning redesigning football. Football is organized in a way uh, that, genera- that generates more and more emissions. So the, the tournaments are bigger. The UEFA has the tendency to do the same. Always organize more tournaments, organize bigger tournaments. Um, and FIFA as well. There's many different tournaments for different age groups. And they, they can change this. They can organize football in a way that is maybe more regional, that is maybe more focused on local fans. They should just redesign football for the climate crisis era. And uh, and they can. And they haven't even started yet. So there's so much uh, so much left to do. I, I, I just, uh, looking at Infantino's statement this week, though, Frank, when he says now's the time to just focus on the football and basically an, uh, an instruction to shut up about anything else. While that's the message, I can't see any of this happening in the near future. Can you? No, that's why we need to put uh, put more pressure on them. I think the more pressure we put on them, the more they feel the need, and they feel the, they feel the need to to respond to the complaints about uh, about all the human rights violations going on in Qatar. And where although their response has been very inadequate, uh, to put it mildly, it was at least a response. They were pushed and they responded. And I hope a new generation of leaders, and I don't know when that when that new generation of leaders will take power in FIFA. Uh, will take these things more uh, more seriously, and uh, and they should. I think there are some wonderful, inspiring people that are currently active in football, both players and you know people that are running organisations that are really pushing this. So I think there is a lot of potential there for people that are going to rise to the top of of football. I mean, I think I'm a little bit uh, you know cynical uh, of, of you know seeing what FIFA has done over the last two decades, um, whether those people will ever be able to rise to the top of such a um, such a large organization. So that would be my concern. And also, you know, we ha- we are in the next 10 years or less than 10 years now into have halved global emissions to, to, to be on track for, you know, a 1.5 degree threshold. So we haven't have we really got time to wait for new leaders for those to climb up the, you know, the career ladder, so to speak. That's one thing I would say. Um, but, you know, Jonathan, you also mentioned Infantino's intervention last week around telling people to focus on the football. You know, and I would argue that, you know, the organisations that were behind these complaints are focusing on the football. They're focusing on the future of football. You know, football is yes, de- great point. Football is dependent on the natural world. It from the weather, from the the surfaces, 
this weekend in the UK, heavy rain uh, led to lots of games being called off. It's challenging the infrastructure around football and it's challenging the ability for people to play the game. So I would, my reply to him is we are focusing on football and we're focusing on the future of football and to make sure that it can continue to be played, continue to be enjoyed um, and continue to you know connect people all around the world. Yeah, we, we should not wait for the next generation of leaders. Uh, we should push the current generation of uh, the current generation of leaders as much as we can, and we should do that at every level. So uh, I will definitely try to push the Dutch Football Association to uh, to do better and to make sure that they use their role in uh, in uh, at the FIFA level. And we see that more and more football associations are speaking out on Qatar on the on the human rights violations. It took a very long time. It took way too many meetings with Amnesty International, but they're coming around to uh, to actually asking football to compensate uh, the workers. So that is possible. Freddie, you're you're waiting for a response from the Advertising Standards uh, Agency. What 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 happens if they reject your complaint? Well, I mean, hopefully they don't. Um, if they if they do, I think they will obviously have to justify that decision and explain why they've chosen to reject it and not to investigate it further. And they, I um, guess, they might. I'm you know just playing devil's advocate. They might reject it on the basis that FIFA can somehow prove that they have offset enough, albeit through dubious offsetting programs that you've outlined. But if they can prove that they have, that might be enough. I mean, it might be enough for the regulator, but I don't. I don't think it would curtail the campaign efforts that that are going to continue to target FIFA. I think when we see the tournament kick off i think we are likely to see other climate stories brought to the fore through what happens at the tournament whether it's athletes uh, struggling in the conditions whether it's fans having to walk uh, in you know blistering heat because of uh, you know failures to the transport or overcapacity issues water shortages also another interesting angle which which we haven't really touched on uh, in this discussion but is obviously the main advertisers of the tournament we've obviously this complaint has been targeted at fifa but it's not nothing to say that if the main sponsors uh, are also making greenwashing claims during the tournament we could theoretically launch a complaint uh, targeting those. And uh, maybe a hopeful note on the Dutch, Dutch climate claim. I was, I was advised by, uh, by legal experts on this that the only risk was that there would be some procedural way for the authority to reject it. That, that maybe FIFA, because the, the, advertise, the advertisements were made for a more general audience, it was maybe not applicable to the Netherlands. Procedurally, there might be a way out for, uh, for FIFA, but on the content, they were convinced that the claim was so strong that we should definitely win. So that's Frank Hosing from Fossil Free Football. We also heard from Freddie Daly from the New Weather Institute. And Melissa, that was very interesting what Frank said at the end there. An indication that in terms of his complaint in the Netherlands, he's been advised that unless there's a procedural reason, they're likely to win. And that could be big, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when you look at the content of the complaints, they're pretty compelling right across the board. I mean, there will be different procedural limitations and, and barriers to overcome. But I think uh, it, it cannot be disputed that FIFA has been making carbon neutrality claims. Um, as he says, one of the stumbling blocks might be an argument about how much each of these individual countries, how much, um, to what extent their fans, their citizens have been uh, seeing these and have been directly targeted by these claims. But the claims have been made and the Carbon Market Watch report 
really does lay serious concerns down about the credibility of those claims. So I'm not surprised that the lawyers are feeling confident at, at this stage um, in terms of, of the credibility that underlines these complaints. And what for you is the is the biggest danger of FIFA basically saying, I mean, what's the problem? Yeah. You know, again, to play devil's advocate, yeah. what's the problem with FIFA trumpeting what they're doing in terms of sustainability and saying they're trying to be carbon neutral for this World Cup? Yeah, well, to me, I mean, if we were going to keep it within sport, the equivalent would be your team manager or your team coach turning to the squad and saying, right, I think we've done all we can at this stage. We're, we're on for a gold medal. And that's fine if it's recognising hard work that's actually been done, strategies that have been decided, um, yards that have, have been covered. But if it's actually just nothing more than a statement and, and actually masks a lot that hasn't been done, then then you're lining yourself up for uh, for, for failure, for loss of the race, for loss of the tournament, whatever it is. And so I think when we relay that back to where we are with climate, we know we've got significant hard yards to travel. And what we can't do is this kind of misinformation piece of, okay, let's, let's tell ourselves that we're carbon neutral or that we're ca- carbon positive in these years. Because if we tell ourselves that lie, we will no way get to the place that we need to in the time period that we have to make these changes. And as, as Frank said, let's not award World Cups to nations that need to completely build the infrastructure from scratch. I mean, how is how is that sustainable and how can that possibly lead to a carbon neutral games? Mystifying. Okay, let's bring two more guests onto the pod. David Wheeler plays in League One in England for Wickham Wanderers and Jamie Cornaccia is Head of Communications at We Play Green, which is a football non-profit founded by professional footballer for Union Bird. Berlin, Morton Torsby. David, if we start with you, would you mind setting out for us a bit about what the letter was seeking to do and why you as a player decided to sign it? Yeah, I guess um, it was um, trying to make sure that FIFA weren't claiming for a carbon neutral World Cup that that wasn't legitimate. They were sort of trying to say that it was going to be the first carbon neutral World Cup. The, the main the main aspect of it was the carbon offsetting, and the carbon offsetting schemes that were included in that were were set up, you know, almost in conjunction with the World Cup, and they don't really stack up under scrutiny. It doesn't really hold up. Yeah, and and why did you feel that as a player this was something that you wanted to get behind? Um. I think partly from a competitive point of view, partly from being um, a footballer, being a sports person for for so many years, I think I'm quite passionate that I want my sport to not only be at the forefront of of the fight against climate change, but you know I want it to be my sport in my country. On top of that, so I'm quite competitive and quite passionate that I want football to be a leader on this rather than sort of a reluctant follower. So that's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect of it is that I've still got some ways to go as an individual, but I feel like even if I went that that distance on trying to improve my own carbon footprint, I still feel like I'd, I'd feel frustrated in terms of my impact and wanting to do more and wanting to be more of a driver for change. And I feel like trying to make those changes within the sport that I'm mainly known for and connected to 
is maybe the best path for me to make a bigger impact. Yeah. Jamie, you signed the letter as well. And we play green also had a lot of players who, who really helped um, through signing that letter also. I wonder if you could explain a bit about the work that we play green does and maybe build on what David's just been saying about the opportunity that athletes have to really drive change through using their voice in these issues. Yeah, absolutely. So We Play Green is a player-driven nonprofit. That's what we call ourselves. And basically the whole premise of We Play Green is to really try and use specifically player voices to mobilize the global football family and creating support for the green shift. As David was saying, you know, being a player, you have a very unique kind of foot in many doors. Like you have a voice on a local scale and also on an international scale. And so what We Play Green is trying to do is helping football players who feel the need or feel called to use their platforms to talk about these issues um, because it can be a really daunting thing. And a lot of players, you know, uh, social responsibility maybe isn't really new to them, but social media is and using their platforms and having all that attention on them is. And so it could be a very daunting task. And so our job is kind of to create this network of players who feel the need to use their voices and kind of engage with their communities on a local and global scale but also um, get connected with others and kind of create this momentum to then push all the people that they reach to then manifest these green shifts, whether it's, you know, making FIFA become more transparent or whether it's using your vote, voting for a green party or, you know, becoming more sustainable in your consumer habits. So um, we have very big global ambitions and the SDGs are also very ambitious and very large, but that's what we have to do if we have to do this all the time. And so regarding signing this letter, it was something easy for We Play Green to do because this is kind of what, the whole premise of our organization is is to collect and amplify the voices of players to make these these shifts happen in the green direction. Brilliant, David. Obviously, the World Cup just uh, just around the corner now. I mean, are you, are you expecting this to become a conversation in any way, or do you just think we'll do the classic thing of just parking all the really important stuff and just getting on with playing a game with a round ball? Um. To be honest, like that's not that's not really the feeling I'm getting. I think I'm speaking to to people that football fans, just people that would normally be really excited, you know, turn into young versions of themselves again and be super excited about the World Cup and buying your wall chart and filling in the scores and and really getting into it. And but most people, what that I've spoken to, they've got a little bit of a f- sort of funny taste in their ma- mouth about this World Cup, and I think not even obviously just from from a climate change point of view that how obviously backwards thinking it seems on that front but in terms of human rights perspective on top of that it it just it, it, it i think it's made a lot of people feel uncomfortable yeah absolutely and on that point that Jamie was was talking about you know the using the athlete voice more do you sense that that is changing and that more people are thinking about maybe speaking out on this topic or do you think we've still got some way to go yeah no i think we've seen it i think we've seen it already i think we've seen a lot of you know you've got this in the australian national team i think maybe the denmark national team even ex-players and people like gary lineker as well so being a lot more vocal and a lot more open about their beliefs which which definitely goes away to helping other players feel more comfortable in, in doing the same thing i would say certainly the bigger the platform the bigger the responsibility I would say people like Ronaldo, to take the most obvious example, has probably the biggest platform in the world. He has the biggest responsibility, but also potentially has the most to lose by you know his sponsorship or whatever. Um, 
often people feel like because they've got a much smaller platform than that they feel like oh well, my my voice isn't going to make a difference it's the same there's a parallel with politics is that like oh my vote's not going to make a difference my voice isn't going to make a difference in this in this but it's that butterfly effect and that ripple effect where it's going to knock onto other people and make other people feel more empowered to say things and, and potentially even shame people with a bigger profile into doing the right thing and actually saying well i should probably say something about this because you know there's kids that are just starting out in their career that are willing to stick their neck on the line or players in lower leagues that are willing to stick their neck on the line and maybe i should so i think it, i think even say players in the premier league who you would almost expect to be more comfortable in that in that scenario wouldn't necessarily be because of you know essentially it's that insecurity of potentially feeling like you're being a hypocrite sometimes yeah absolutely i was wondering jamie some of these barriers that uh, david's talking about are those the same ones that are familiar to you with your work with we play green and how is your organization looking to address those hurdles and challenges that stop players at the moment from feeling like they can speak about these issues more yeah, totally. I think so. Right now, we have twelve players. The twelfth being Marcelo Vieira, who just joined us a few days ago. I think having a network around you, especially with like-minded players, is something super important. That would it makes you feel supported um, in using your voice and at least knowing that you're not the only one. You know, kind of having the spotlight on you. I think that's what a lot of players might fear, especially some of the bigger ones who have some of the bigger platforms because so many eyes are on them and them alone. What we're trying to do again is to make sure that everyone who wants to join We Play Green can determine their level of participation because, of course, being a football player, I think, automatically gives you a, a big platform and a lot of responsibility. Of, but individually, it's up to you how you use that voice. You can't force everyone to talk about the climate or environment because, again, what we offer, we offer media training, different like social media activation. The big barrier is feeling alone and maybe using your platform. So that's what we're trying to get past and make sure that, you know, everyone feels supported. Collective action is so important. And I think we really see that. And so, again, it's it's a matter of how many player voices can we get and how many people can we mobilize with those voices? Because player voices reach all over the world. They truly do. Yeah. And in terms of that collective action piece, maybe, David, um, one of the things I wonder is, this was a letter written to FIFA, but a lot of the emphasis in the letter was about FIFA's role in representing fans and and being really showing leadership in a sport that has such an enormous fan base that relies on them to make the right decisions and take the right steps. And I wonder, given that, how you find speaking out about these issues around climate change and the reception that you're met with from Wiccan Wanderers fan base, does it feel like an uphill battle? Do you feel like that's shifting at all? And what's your experience there? Um, yeah, I do. I do get a little bit of um, heat at times, a little bit of blowback from from certain people, from fans, not so much people in person, but um, certainly people online, you know, either denying that the, the climate crisis is even an issue or just saying stick to football, that sort of thing. But I think the uh, the older I've gotten, the more, I'd say, comfortable in my own skin, comfortable in my, you know, my thoughts and my values, I suppose. It doesn't bother me so much being a lot more open about these things and a lot more of an advocate for them. But yeah, I think having like thought about leadership a lot as well, as well like you, you come back to what you were saying about FIFA, and again, another parallel with politics, we're seeing like a fundamental failure in leadership across the board. And 
that's certainly something that that needs to be addressed and it needs it needs to be something that we almost try and embed in in those roles is you have to have ethics you have to be moral you have to be have integrity and i think that's been severely lacking in quite a few of the top jobs i think it was obviously fifa's had its issues for a long time but i think it was re- relatively peripheral to my personal life until recently obviously being more aware with with climate change seeing what awarding qatar the world cup has done but then also seeing the next world cup you know spanning across like almost two continents completely ridiculous and unnecessary um but in terms of making the most money that's clearly where their main priorities lie at the moment and that that obviously needs to shift do you agree, David, with what uh, what the guys were saying earlier? It it needs a new kind of leadership, a new a new generation of leadership, almost. But with that, perhaps a fear that we haven't got that long, because these transitions sometimes, as you know, in sport, don't happen overnight. So, is there a balance to be struck there? Do you think between trying to force the current regime to make a change, but also try to introduce new leaders? Um, to be honest, like looking at previous, um, social movements, it's, it's usually been, you know, from the ground up that big changes has, has made. It's not been top down people making change voluntarily where it's happened. You see all the big movements like the suffragette movement, um, and civil rights movements. They've all been bottom up movements that have been, you know, like making people in power do the things that they, they reluctantly they end up doing but they don't wouldn't necessarily do Mm -hmm. their own accord because it's uncomfortable for them and the people that hold power alongside them um and so yeah i think how does that how does that happen with fifa though i think i think it is is like any other movement i think it's it is going to be protest is going to be which is which is potentially an argument for boycotting the qatar world cup and potentially an argument for boycotting the next world cup if they're continuing to go down the same route, that is, that's probably the best argument in favor of it, obviously alongside the actual issues of it, but saying, well, how are you actually going to change their minds on these, on these issues? It is hitting them in the pocket. It's hitting them where it hurts. And the only way you can do that is basically pull out of, of being a participant of it, of being a fan or a player. Well, Jamie, would, would you, ever imagine a situation where nations would do what David has just suggested there? Well, I think anything is possible. And I agree, you have to hit them where it hurts. And I think we are getting to the point now where we have to make, you know, drastic calls. Like if we're at such a tipping point, if this is where things are continuing to go, and if it's just kind of like putting, uh, what's the term, using a sleeping pill. So that's the term that uh, we like to call the the greenwashing that's kind of going on and around the FIFA World Cup um, is giving people a gre- uh, sleeping pill with um, offsetting because it's it's not getting to the root of the issue. It's just kind of covering it up and making you kind of close your eyes. And, you know, that that I think is kind of the intention of what they were trying to do, even though from the get go, inherently, this was a very unsustainable World Cup. Like everyone knew that 10, 12 years ago when they got 
the... Sure, well, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? We kind of all knew yeah. it, um, but yeah. everyone's still going. And everyone who exactly. gets picked is still going to go because it's the chance of playing in a World Cup. So exactly. this is why I asked the question, how do, we, how do we get from David's very logical and very well thought out and reasoned suggestion to actually a point of action? We have to mobilize the masses. I think it's kind of like a domino effect and people are social. We're social animals and we follow leaders and football players are the leaders. And along national teams in this case are also the, the biggest leaders in the tournament. Without the national teams, there's no World Cup. So you have to kind of go to the, the top and the source and that's the pocketbook and the teams. So I do agree with you, David. I think uh, obviously it would be one of the most drastic measures, but if it's necessary, then it's necessary. Like we have to... If we need to get the point across, then that's the way to do it. I would agree. I mean, like, and a potentially alternative way of hitting the the organizers or the the hosts in the pocket is is going after people that are advertising at the World Cup because essentially that's the, the main source of of, of money. So mm-hmm. it's saying, look, do you really want your your company to be associated with this level of human rights abuse? This level of climate destruction do you want to be your brand to be associated with this and if if you do then you're going to be you are going to be forever associated with it because totally. we're going to make sure that you are tv rights as well if we want to go there so not broadcasting so so just as a final one on this particular theme um my mind has been whirring for the past couple of minutes here's a scenario for you david wheeler gareth southgate has a monumental injury crisis uh, over That's the final weekend of EFL and Premier League fixtures. And David Wheeler of Wickham Wanderers is sensationally called up to join the 2022 squad. What, what do you say to Gareth? I think that I, I would say, uh, firstly, that's a very unfair question. I know it is, and I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's every, every person's dream to play in a World Cup, obviously, which is why, you know, I would never be on my high, high horse and say to the current squad, you know, you should boycott it because I know how much of a dilemma that yeah. would be, um, yeah. and how, and I'm not, I'm not even sure if 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 that is the route to go or that is. For, it would be amazing if someone did that, but I don't think necessarily that's a fair thing to ask because you can only be an athlete for say 10, 10 to fifteen years if you're lucky. Um, sure, yeah, and in that and in that time, you might only get one chance to either, you know, go to something like an Olympics or a World Cup, but. We'll let we'll let you go. If, so you're if, you're in the squad. We'll let you go. But do you do you do you in an interview maybe drop in some some references or, or try to spark a conversation somewhere along the line? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, if I was if I was in say if I was in the scenario where I was either either I'd either gone or I'm going. I'm part of the squad, and then I get outright asked that in a press conference. Then you know I'm happy to go to town on that. But to tweet the to tweet the question to say if I had the benefit of of foresight and someone said you can either go to the World Cup and play in the World Cup or you can make a statement and boycott it, but then off the back of that you're gonna have an extreme wave of action and support which is gonna force governments to start doing the right thing and, and get us on the path to essentially saving the planet then I'm going to choose that every single day of the week. Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. It is unfair. And I think 
a lot of players kind of have the mentality, especially the ones that are participating. It's like, okay, we don't choose where the tournament's going to be played. Like, we just have to go play. We're going to represent our country and do the best we can. So it's a, <laughs> it is a very difficult and unfair question. But I think what I was trying to say, and on the like, We Play Green behalf, of course, is I think it could be possible to rally enough support by using, you know, the universal language of football and clear communication. Like, if this was the worst case scenario, like, we can literally boycott the World Cup. Like, that is a possibility in the sense, like, if we manage to mobilize enough people, I do believe that's possible. And if that's the case that we need to go to for the future of, you know, global sports and things like that, I do see a case scenario where that could be possible. But, of course, it would take a lot of work and it would take a lot of voices and a lot of channeling. But I don't think it is impossible. But hopefully it won't have to be. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen, like, I think COVID's forced us to see that there are a lot of things that are a lot more possible than we we, we perhaps mm-hmm. thought. We had had the Euros in mm-hmm. in the wrong year because of COVID, because you know yep. we made that decision because we wanted to protect people in society from 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 getting the virus. So mm-hmm. there the, the could be the same scenario where a country like England or you know Switzerland or whoever just says, "Look, we're willing to host the World Cup next year." We don't think it should go ahead because of X, Y, and Z, because of the human rights abuses and the the, the climate issues. Um, mm-hmm. And you could see you could see countries, especially like Germany, or even you know Australia, for example, saying, "Oh, well, yeah, we we potentially consider that. Like, we still get to play a World Cup. We don't miss a World Cup, and we also get to make a point on the on those issues as well." So I don't th- I don't think yeah. it's completely beyond the realm of possibility. I think obviously now we're at like the 11th hour we're right Mm -hmm. about to start the world cup i think it would it would be pretty miraculous if it happened but also pretty cool uh, if it did (laughs) yeah we'll see so there we go. That's David Wheeler and Jamie Cornaccia. And uh, I found that really interesting, Melissa, this idea that a lot of people are in agreement about a potential course of action that, let's face it, boycotting a World Cup. Wow. I mean, that's big. Courses of action in sport wouldn't come much bigger than that. But then it's the process of getting to that point. Have you got any suggestions about how we go about starting that? Yeah, it is. I mean, one of the things that I found so exciting was that this was a message that was coming from players themselves um i know you challenged david a bit on what would it look like if your name was pulled out to play i do also really agree with what david said of um it's hard to work out where in the where in the pecking order or where within clubs and where within leagues these sorts of messages and and hooks can come from and i think that having players wherever they are in the league starting to talk in this way is really exciting because you don't know the point at which that starts to influence other players, um, maybe in higher leagues, maybe in other countries, um, to say, actually, yeah, there are principles that we're going to stand by and maybe that does come above representing your country or this particular World Cup. So I thought that was a, a really, really strong point that he made. But it was really good to hear about We Play Green as well, wasn't it, from from Jamie? And clearly they're doing some excellent work in harnessing some big stars. Great to hear Marcelo. Love Marcelo. Marauding down the left for Real Madrid, but now playing at uh, Olympiacos. So it'll, it'll be good to hear from him on this subject, if indeed he's engaged as, as Jamie says yeah, he is. Absolutely. Amazing the kind of momentum that they're building behind um, those 
athletes and, and the connections that they're making, that sense of community that they're building, because I think uh, it's really, really impressive to see players like Morton and David speaking out when there are there isn't really this groundswell at the moment, but I think hopefully we can build that over the coming months and years and that I see organisations like We Play Green playing a real role in that, definitely. Well, before we go, in the interest of fair journalism, we should report what FIFA has said about this. They have pledged to deliver a fully carbon neutral World Cup. That's what they have said, including energy efficient stadiums, green building certification of their design, construction and operations, low emission transportation, sustainable waste management practices, and that they will be offsetting all the ticket holders' flight emissions. I know lots of people who are heading to the World Cup. I'm not. I have been to previous World Cups, but friends and colleagues are going very, very soon. And I do hope that they listen to programmes such as this. They read a lot of the sensible discussion, reporting and commentary which is going on around this topic. And when they get there, yes, they'll be presented with press releases and glossy statements. But perhaps we can just take a step back, dig a little deeper and we can listen to human stories and we can check on human impacts and we can balance things out. Because ultimately, when the tournament starts, people are going to be playing a game. And when the tournament ends, a team will leave with a gleaming trophy and there'll be open top bus tours and all that sort of stuff. Will the really important stuff have made the impact that we really need it to make in order to make big change? And yes, Mr. Infantino, we are talking about football here, as you want us to do, because we're talking about the future of the game that you say you love, and it's definitely the game that we love the future of football. Thanks for listening to this edition of Emergency on Planet Sport. Please do leave a review wherever you get your podcast because it really makes a difference, particularly to make the pod more discoverable among people who don't necessarily go looking for it. So do subscribe, leave a review if you can, and we'll speak to you next time.